We continue our work through the, uh, the book of Ephesians, and uh, um, I don't know if any of you like pay attention, try to remember where we ended like the week before. I don't blame you if you don't. Um, but you might notice that uh, last week we ended in chapter 5, verse 2, and this week we began with chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, and I, when I was going to school, I learned one, two, three, four, five, six. So there's something missing that we're going we're gonna to get to as we go through the message. And uh, I, I want to take a little bit of time and go back and talk about those, those verses. And, and to get at this, one of the things that we have to understand about Ephesus is, is that Ephesus was very much dominated um, by, well, this is an artist's rendition of the place, but by this place. The Temple of Artemis. Uh, this was a huge part of the culture that was there. Uh, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, when we think about Artemis, we think about like Zeus and Poseidon and these false gods that the Greeks had. And, and, um, and maybe you think of uh, the, the Parthenon in Athens. You know, this, this was the place. This place was four times bigger. Stood up on a hill outside the city, just really, it dominates what's going on in Ephesus. It it stands over everything. And and so when you look at uh, Paul preaching in this city, this looms large, literally and figuratively. And so he he says to them in verse 8, and if you've been like underlining and, and humoring me with that, please underline verse 8, where it says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. At one time you were darkness. You worshipped demons. You worshipped false gods. You, you lived in that darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And, and there's this, this really strong contrast of before and after. But even though they're Christians, they're living with this thing around them all the time. This false worship is around them all over the place. Their friends are still there who, who went to the, uh, the temple with them, who did all the things that they used to do at the temple with them and, and all of those things. And there's a constant pull to say, uh, uh, let's go back to the things that we did before. A constant temptation now, we don't actually know a whole lot about how they worshipped Artemis of the Ephesians. But we do know that this Artemis of the Ephesians was a fertility goddess. And we know a lot about fertility god worship uh, in the Mediterranean region. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was very wild. There was a lot of drunkenness. There's a lot of sexuality that's involved with it. And they practiced something that was called temple prostitution. And uh, it was both female and male. And, uh, and I think that that brings us to a pretty close connection to a topic that's really relevant for us today. And that's human trafficking. You know, when, when you think about those uh, temple prostitutes, it's not like they were like, you know, I volunteer for service, please. These are kids that were kidnapped and they were brought there and they were raised in this context. And we have a very similar kind of thing that goes on in our culture today with human trafficking. Um, And 
this, this whole sexual ethos that is involved with the worship of Artemis, it, it, it's still part of, part of our world. It's part of our life. The willingness to use somebody else for our own pleasure. You know, and when you think of human trafficking, you know, the issues of prostitution and, and pornography and, and, and the domination of others for somebody else's pleasure, they're all part of that. And that's all part of this culture that, that, that Paul is speaking to as well. And so in the first part, he speaks about sexual immorality not even being named. That this is, this is something that's not part of our culture as Christians. Yeah, it's out there in the world, but that is not who we are anymore. Once you were darkness, once that was part of our lives, but now you are light. And we're called to live differently. And I think that it's important that in verse 5, it says that um, you can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. It's a pretty strong warning. But I want you to notice that a lot of times when people read this, they go, oh yeah, covetousness is idolatry. That's actually a list of things that are idolatry. That sexual immorality and, and impurity and covetousness, they're, they're all bound up in this, this issue of idolatry. And as Paul is speaking to the Ephesians, he is speaking to people that understand this question of who is God. That that's central and, and essential in their lives. Because at one time they, they worshipped something else. They were in darkness. And now they're in light. Now, we've talked about this before. How, for me, I, I was baptized at like three weeks. I don't remember this, this great split that you know, at one point I was in darkness doing all of these terrible things, but now I'm light in the Lord, and so my life is completely different. The Ephesians had that. They understood that. But the truth is for each and every one of us that once we were darkness, and we still feel that temptation and that pull to return to that, that idolatrous darkness. But you are light in the Lord. You have Jesus' salvation. You have his forgiveness. And and everything that that transforms in you is part of your life. But this this idolatrous struggle continues to pull at us in, in a whole variety of different ways. And so Paul writing to them says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, sum it all up in idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You see, God has provided protection from his wrath. He did it by giving his son to die on the cross, and he poured his wrath out on him. And when we have faith in Jesus, we are protected from God's wrath. But if we reject that protection, we are essentially putting ourselves back under his wrath. And he's calling us to to stay faithful to the God who has rescued us and who has redeemed us. So he says, don't become partakers with them. Yes, at one time you were darkness. Not anymore. Now you are light in the Lord. 
Walk as children of the light. And he likes that, that image of walking as, as a, of life, doesn't he? he? He's brought this up. You know, last week we talked about walk in love. The week before we talked about walk in a manner uh, worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And so this, this walk, it, it's, it, it's the life of faith. It's not, just, it's not just the outward ethical things that we do. It's not just about behavior. It's about the change that God makes inside of us as well. That he transforms our hearts and our minds. That we, we desire God's will within us and then we seek to do it outside of us. You know, the Old Testament speaks often of walking in God's ways. That's not just about an outward obedience. It's about inwardly trusting God's promises and loving his word and being obedient to that word inwardly, trusting in his forgiveness and salvation. And then that shaping us and transforming us. He says, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right, true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Why? I think you could look at that and you could say, well, I want to discern what's good and right and true and pleasing to the Lord because if I don't, I'm going to get whacked. Does that fit with anything else in Ephesians, though? Has he spoken that way anywhere in this book thus far? No. The motivation for seeking what is good and right and true and pleasing to the Lord has always been the fact that he has loved us and saved us and redeemed us, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and as a free gift out of his love for you, he has given you life in his son. And so all of a sudden we desire these things because we've been so deeply loved by God. Because he's changed us, he's rescued us, he's redeemed us. It's not just a slavish obedience. It's rejoicing in what he has done. And that shapes us and and, and transforms our lives so that we desire the things that he, he desires for us. Yeah, we were once darkness, but now we're light. So we walk as as children of the light, rejoicing in all that God has done for us and being shaped and changed by it. He says, take no part. Those are strong words, aren't they? Take no part. In the unfruitful works of darkness. Yeah, we remember the sin. We, we know the temptation. But we shun it. We take no part in it. But instead expose them. You know, have you ever noticed that if you're in a dark room and you turn on a light, that the darkness kind of could... It's like it pushes back the darkness. Okay, here's your assignment tonight. Go in a dark room and maybe light a candle. Because everybody's like looking at me like I'm from Mars. Really? That happens? Yeah. It, it's pretty amazing. You know, actually, uh, you know, kids, don't take a match. Use your iPhone, you know, that thing. Um, it, it's amazing. Light and darkness, they do not exist together. Light drives out darkness. The light of Christ in you drives out that darkness of sin. And I find it interesting that when you read the Gospels, there are two times that Jesus talks about the light of the world. In John, he says, I am the light of the world. And Matthew, he says, you are the light of the world. Jesus' light shines in you. And so that means 
that light pushes back the darkness. It exposes sin in ourselves and in others, so that in ourselves so that we can confess it, but in others so that they can know God's will and so that they have the opportunity to repent and receive Jesus' forgiveness. And he talks about that sin in a pretty strong way here. He says it's shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And therefore he says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I've got that set apart a little bit differently on the slide. Because when you read this, it's actually a little bit of poetry. And we think it's a hymn, or part of a hymn. A hymn that was sung when people were baptized. And so think, think of the imagery from the catechism for a moment. That when a person is baptized, the old sinful nature goes down in the water, drowns, and dies. And a new person comes to life. Right? The old sinful nature is asleep in death. And awake, O oh sinner, awake, you who are dead in trespasses and sins, and arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. And his light shines in us, and you are now the light of the world. You walk as children of the light, shaped and formed by his salvation. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Um, Our Old Testament lesson talked a little bit about wisdom, didn't it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, I think in modern terms, we often think of wisdom in terms of like intellect and intelligence. But wisdom is really taking what God teaches us and applying it in our lives. It's living within his will. Wisdom is faith. It's trusting in God's promises and being shaped by those promises and by his word. So he's basically saying, you know, don't be unwise. Don't, don't be foolish, he's going to say later. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But be wise. Have faith in the God who created us, who redeemed us, who sanctifies us, who makes us holy. And it says to make the best use of the time. You know, if you would, maybe in parentheses, just in the, in the, uh, the margin there, write redeeming. That's another way you could translate that. It's not just that you're going to make the best use of the time. You're redeeming the time. Because this light of Christ shines in you and you get to share it with the world. You get to share it with your children, with your neighbors. Which means you're bringing his redemption into the lives of others. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What's the will of the Lord? That all people be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That all people know Jesus and have his love and forgiveness in their lives. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this, this whole do not get drunk with wine, um, there's a little bit of a, uh, of a worship aspect to what's going on here. That whole pagan worship, you know, drunkenness and revelry and, and all of that. So there's part of that in the culture that's going on. But this is probably a pretty good warning. I mean, I wouldn't know. This has never happened to me. So... Um, Yeah, anyhow. Um, We don't make good decisions when we're drunk. 
It doesn't lead us to godliness. You know, so it's something to be avoided. Christ calls us to be sober, minded, watching for when Jesus will return. Now, I should pause on that for a second and say, uh, does that say don't drink wine? No, it doesn't. You know, it, it's kind of similar to what we were talking about with sex before. Wine is a good gift from God. Sex is a good gift from God. It's all in how it's mistreated and abused. But this issue of watching for the Lord and being filled with the Spirit, not living for the pleasures of the earth, but living with our eyes set on heaven, it it impacts the way that we live with one another. Uh, In fact, it it impacts it in, in three ways. We're going to address one another, we're going to give thanks, and we're going to submit. Now, notice that I've got rectangles around Spirit and God the Father and Jesus Christ. I want to highlight for you again, he's talking about the Trinity. But he says that when we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to address one another. It just means we're going to speak to one another. Addressing sounds so formal. We're speaking to one another. And how do we do it? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. That's what we're doing right now, isn't it? It's describing worship that we gather to to speak this word with one another. Singing and making melodies to the Lord in our heart. Giving thanks. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I know that that submitting thing is, is, oh, that's hard in our culture. You could translate it, being subordinate to one another. Putting others before ourselves. It's talking about humility and service. And that's a major challenge for us. And we're going to dig a little bit more deeply into how challenging that is uh, next week. Now, do we have temples and idols in our lives? We recognize once we were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. There's always a temptation to be darkness, to turn to self-gratification, to use others, to think we've, we've earned the right to whatever, to basically put ourselves as number one. That's not who you are anymore. You are light in Christ. The Lord Jesus has borne your darkness and he's poured his light into your life. Live speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Give thanks to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to God? Yeah but also to one another out of love in Christ. Amen.